All right. Neil, thanks for being here. Really appreciate you doing this. Um, you have a book out. We're going to discuss a little bit about that. So why don't we get into just getting, giving the audience a little bit of your background, a little bit of blurb about yourself and maybe about your book. And, and we'll just start going from there. Okay, no, that's perfect. And uh, pleasure to be here today, uh, Chris. Uh, so first off, uh, so it's D. Neil Elliott. And uh, the D is just to differentiate me as an author and on the internet. So everybody knows that. That's the initial of my first name. Uh, background. Uh, born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I've lived in Canada my entire life, across Canada in various areas. Currently 61 years old. Uh, married with three kids and five grandchildren. And all of my grandchildren uh, are Texans. Uh, professional engineer with... They're Texans? Texans. From Texas. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah. off. I just want to make sure I heard that right. Go ahead. Yeah. No. And the uh, the oldest just uh, if graduated is the right word as a uh, uh, from Marine Corps boot camp. So uh, nice. So yeah. So uh, professional engineer with an MBA, and I've worked in the hydroelectric industry for over thirty years. Uh, manage project, you know, started out in design engineering and stuff like that, but migrated over to project management and managed small projects to large projects, a few hundred thousand to hundred million dollars. Uh, so that's, that's my background in terms of, uh, uh, you know, kind of who I am, what I've been doing in my life. Um, my book is called A Higher Road, and it's Cleanse Your Consciousness to Transcend the Ego and Ascend Spiritually. And I offer a seven-step process to inner peace, joy, love, abundance, and prosperity. And the impetus for writing that book is um, over a lifetime, I created these consciousness forms, and we'll talk about that. But I created these, I adopted these beliefs, um, and I created uh, these consciousness forms which drove me or led me to the brink of suicide. So deep depression um, and depression onset slowly. And at 57 years old, I sat down, my, uh, our house had sold after seven years on the market. Um, I was in this deep depression, uh, despondent. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, what's the purpose of life? I'm working hard. I earn lots of money. I spend lots of money, but I'm not getting ahead. I'm not happy. I'm certainly not happy. And there's just no reason to be alive. It seemed like I was a slave to my work, uh, serving my clients. I was a consultant. And um, so, so this, all no started, real... this all started while you were a professional, like working as a consultant? Yes. So, so it was really late in life for you said 57. Well, yeah. So, well, uh, so that's when I sat down at the kitchen table to craft a suicide note. The depression slowly set in you know, kind of probably over a lifetime, but really started to take hold in the, um, you know, around probably 2008, 2009. And uh, when, when I hit 2017, I hit the end of the end of my rope, so to speak. Um, and so I sat down at a kitchen table, our house had sold, I knew then my wife would be financially okay with my life insurance. And I planned out my suicide. I'm a, you know, because I'm an engineer and a project manager, um, you know, I kind of, I, I wrote this note in a lot of detail, but coincidentally, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, I'd just come across some material 
about a week before I wrote that note that promised to liberate me from my thinking. And we'll talk about the whole process I went through, but um, I thought, okay, well, I finished my note. My wife had got on a plane. I sat down at the kitchen table. I wrote it. And I, and I thought, okay, well, I, I have this other information that says it's going to liberate me. So I thought, okay, well, I can always commit suicide. I can't come back from that. So I'll put suicide, you know, off to the side and I will set a schedule and I'll study this other material. And if it works great. And if it doesn't, I'll do the final act. And I, um, a year to the, almost a year to the day of studying this material and uh, practicing the things that I, in the seven steps, uh, my, I changed my life. My consciousness entirely changed to, I woke up one morning and I was just, I was full of love. I was full of peace. I was full of joy. It's just like, I had an entirely different outlook in life. And I wanted to share that with everybody. And I thought, well, if I, you know, I wanted to stand on the rooftops and share that with everybody. And I thought, if I do that, people are going to think I'm some kind of nutcase. So it took me a couple of years to kind of figure out, okay, probably the best way to do this is to write a book. And so I've written a book and my goal is to help people understand how they create every event, how they create every tomorrow in their life, every event that comes into their life, every everything that comes into their life, they are the creators of it. And when you understand my book bridges um, this gap between spirituality and science. So I, I use science in the book. Uh, we'll talk about that, but I use science in the book to get everybody up to the same speed. And then I, then this gap is bridged between, between spirituality and science. And I give everybody the seven step process that I followed. Uh, in the hopes that, you know, if somebody reads my book and, um, you know, they're in a state where they would like to transform their lives, that if they decide to follow this process, um, they can have the same outcome or even a better outcome than, uh, than I've achieved. So that's, that's the impetus for writing the book. So all your life, did you not have, did you have these dark thoughts or it just came a randomly just at that certain that age we just mentioned earlier like 57 or whatever it was or uh, do you have a does your family have a history of depression and or? no well not that i know of <clears throat> so um so depression for me uh you know i started um you know as a youngster so here's the thing when we're when we're little when we're first born we're kind of a baby if it's born into a family of means um, you know, so it has food and clothing and, you know, well looked after is really this embodiment of joy. It's just this happy little thing. And um, uh, as the brain develops, so at, at age five, the brain has this process where it can start to discern and make decisions for itself. But up until, up until that age, all it's really doing is absorbing everything that's around it. It absorbs the, the emotions of its parents or anybody that comes in connection with it. And it's absorbing their patterns of behavior and their thinking. So it's, it's starting to, the baby is starting to, um, you know, be shaped in terms of how it thinks. Right. Then at age five, it starts to make its own decisions. But essentially, 
So everybody goes through this process. And as you grow from uh, babyhood to adulthood, you shape your beliefs and your beliefs are um, by all your experiences, by what you learn in school, by your friends, by your family, all of that stuff. And <clears throat> my beliefs were what I would call now were quite judgmental. Um, you know, I had a lot of judgment of this person's right, that person's wrong, this process is right, that's wrong. These people are right, that person's wrong. You know, and we see this, it's prevalent in society today, especially with all of the dissension and politics is a good example of where this dissent is. Um, and um, so these are people's beliefs that, that shape over a lifetime. And then what you do as you're getting older is you're reinforcing those beliefs. So when I hit 30, um, I decided that I would like to actually change how I thought about things. And I was reading, I picked, started to pick up spiritual books like, you know, Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer and Carolyn Mice and those kinds of spiritual self-help books, Napoleon Hill, Tony Robbins. Mm. And they all had these processes and they all had these great ideas and stuff about how we could, uh, you know, have more positive mindsets and how we could change how we thought. So in the 90s, I spent time trying to do that. And um, I still had these uh, very judgmental thoughts. And um, I worked in an industry which is sometimes driven a lot by politics. And so you get a change in direction uh, very quickly. You know, like uh, one day they say, let's, we're all headed south. And the next day is, no, we're all headed north. And it, it didn't make sense to me. So it was pretty um, ingrained in my thinking around right, wrong, those kinds of things. And um, then I'd go ahead, or I left employment in uh, early 2000s and I went into consulting. So I was an employee and then I went into consulting. And when I was in consulting, um, I dropped all of my spiritual readings and um, I focused on work. You're always putting your best foot forward. We're all great actors in our environment, right? We always put our best foot forward. We can present ourselves however, however we want. And uh, when you're a consultant, you're always trying to please your client. You got to make sure you deliver. Otherwise you won't get repeat work, right? So you tend to work a lot. Uh, you don't get paid if you don't work and uh, you don't get paid for stats and you don't get paid for holidays. So you work a lot. And so my focus became on work and pleasing the client. And, um, you know, still putting up with all of the changes in the politics of, of working in a large organization and still having these thoughts. So my thoughts were pretty ingrained in terms of, you know, judgment of right, wrong, good, bad, true, false. And so that is really, you know, to answer your question, this depression sleeps, um, creeps in very slowly over time due to how we think. And so for me, you know, the real answer is it probably started, uh, you know, when I was in my teens or in my twenties, but it, but I didn't actually know that I was even doing this to myself till I was probably 2011 or 2009, 2010, somewhere in that range. And I started to go into this um, more of a depressed state and the depression is really slow. Like you don't really notice it. Um, it just builds slowly. And then one day you kind of go like, I'm just like, what's the purpose of life? And when you start asking those kinds of questions, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm tired of this. I'm not happy. What's the purpose? Why are we here? Why do we do this? I'm working like crazy. 
and um, you know, I'm just not getting ahead or, or whatever other reasons are coming up for you. Some people turn to drugs, some people turn to alcohol. Um, I, you know, didn't do that. But what I did do is I turned to this more negative thinking and got to this depressed state where um, I decided I would just end it. Well, you know, I kind of like how you were saying that, that it seems like the human brain, when we are small or little or whatever you want to say, that it's like a sponge. We're picking up everything around us. And, you know, as we get older and older and older, we, like you said, we start to think for ourselves and understand things in different ways. And then people almost define themselves by the momentum from their past. And, you know, and I, I can speak to this that, you know, with regret or failures in your life and people start to define themselves by their, their, by those failures, it seems. And, and, you know, you said it creeps or it sleeps in on you like that. It just little by little, I don't think people realize, but if you keep thinking about those failures and, you know, things you did wrong in your life, whatever, it's just going to keep, you know, that's like a snowball effect, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, start waiting, you know, come in on you harder than what you expect. And like you said, wake up one day and you're like, whoa, you know, why, why am I doing this? And, you know, like I said, personally, I tend to think about that myself. It's like, you know, why did I, why didn't I call that girl back? You know, why did I miss that shot at the basketball game? You know, why didn't I, you know, go to that person's party, whatever. It could be X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to say, but it just, it creeps up on you. Like you said, it's, it's hard to, you got to take a minute, take a breath, step back and actually think about what's going on here, I guess. And I think a lot of people, especially in today's age, are not doing that and really learning about themselves. I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, um, so yes, uh, I, I agree with exactly what you said. I, I think that, um, you know, we judge ourselves harshly and, but we also judge others. Sure. And this, this is just how we, um, you know, it, and we'll talk about this. It's, it's the mechanisms of the ego, but you know, we are in this pattern for, um, we're here for, with a purpose. Each of us are here with a purpose and, um, this process of how we think and what we think is actually a tool of our, of creation to enable us to actually wake up and realize what we're doing to ourselves. And that may be this lifetime. It may be a future lifetime, but you know, so when we um, grow from babyhood to childhood, so when we're a baby, so we're going to talk about this in a, in a way which um, may be a little bit surprising for some people. But when we're a baby, we are connected to our source of being. So it doesn't matter whether you want to call it God, Yahweh, Allah, source of our being, the infinite, the divine, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. There's only one creator and we're connected to that creator. We're an open channel for that creator. But, creator. but as we grow older, what we do is we shut ourselves off from the light and from the connection of this creator through our ego. And I'm going to talk about how the ego is developed. So the, the, the ego is a, is created at the time of conception okay. and it's the tool of, of creation. So now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to segue and I'm going to talk a little bit about the book, if you don't mind, give everybody an overview. And then we'll get into some of this stuff if uh, if uh, that seems to make sense. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so um, the book is really so. 
here's my recommended way to read the book. You read the book from cover to cover. You understand the process in its entirety. And then you make a decision for yourself whether or not it, this makes sense to you. And if it does, you can go back and start with some of the science information that we talk about and that I recommend people to read um, or just directly with step one. So the first part of the book is really an overview of what you're going to learn and how I got to that point of um, uh, writing that suicide note. Just to clarify, I know your book, you have a seven-step process. Is it, This is the first step? No, no, it's not. So this is just a recommended read it, understand the process in its entirety. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and then the book has um, uh, five parts. So the first part the first part of the book is really an overview of what you're going to learn and how I got to this point of suicide. Um, the, or well, crafting the suicide. The second the part of the book is a memoir of my life. And I'm a very private person, but I was quite candid with this memoir because what I want to do is I use it, my life as an illustration for people about how their thinking and their feeling creates their reality. We let our externalities drive what we think and what we feel. And really life, at some point you wake up and you realize that really life is a journey. within. And everything that you think is true, right or wrong, true or false, good or bad, is really just a belief. And um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So I use my, my memoir as an illustration of how my thinking and my feeling created these circumstances in my life that I reinforced over time. And that drove me to this depression and kept me locked into this way of thinking. And uh, part three of the book is really science. And it is designed in a way to get everybody onto the same page and get everybody familiar with the things that I'm talking about. So I'm not talking about science as an engineer talks about it with math <laughs> and calculations and theorems. I'm talking, these are concepts that everybody will understand. Okay. And then what I do is I share some authors that I had read, which helped me be able to change the way I thought about things. So part three is, is this science section. Part four uh, is really around mind and matter. And this is starting that bridge between spirituality and science. And I provide um, this blueprint document that I had mentioned earlier. I've, I've gathered it all together into, uh, into a document that I provide people for free. It's a PDF document. I provide people that document for free after they've read A Higher Road and if they want to follow the seven steps. Okay. Now I'm with you. And, and then um, part five. So I provide some excerpts of that just to um, give people a taste of what they will learn by, you know, kind of reading this blueprint document. Then part five is my personal experience as I followed these seven steps. So what happened to me over the first year as I followed these seven steps. 
And so, um, so if you read my book cover to cover, you understand the process in its entirety. You'll understand my experience of that process and how it shifted my belief, my beliefs and my thinking and uh, got me to this place that I am today. So, um, so if we jump back and let's, do you have a, do you have any questions, Chris, at this point? Uh, well, no, we can keep going, but yeah, my first question, like with regarding the book, like you said, you talked about the seven step process. I was going to ask you, you know, what's maybe what's the first step and kind of go from there, but we can jump back to before that. That's no problem. Okay. Well, let's jump, jump back a little bit further. I want to talk about science a little bit and yeah. then I'll introduce you to the first step. Okay. So, um, so part three, let's talk about science. So back again, back in the nineties, you know, I was reading these spiritual books and, um, and positive thinking books, you know, get your mindset into a more positive attitude and how you think. And so I was pasting on my walls, all of these positive words and phrases and, you know, affirmations. And I, I thought that, well, if I repeated those and I had them, you know, on the wall in front of me, I would eventually change how I thought. Yeah. And that process certainly didn't work for me. It was good stuff. It's all good stuff, but it didn't work for me. And um, so in my book, I describe what I used to think consciousness was and what my new understanding of consciousness is, but I evolved that over time. So part three, what I used to think of consciousness was that everything that I thought was in my brain and everything that I thought was something that I had learned or experienced or been exposed to. And so then I would take these thoughts and I would cobble them together into, you know, sentences and <laughs> uh, other things that we do with thoughts. Um, but one thing I did notice was that if I watched a, you know, kind of violent film, or if I was reading maybe perhaps a murder mystery or something like that, um, or if I had a bad experience during the day, you know, this bad basketball shot or, uh, you know, an argument with a boss or somebody like that it would affect my sleep at night. I would wake up and I'd mull that over. And then, you know, I got in this process of also dreaming up all kinds of things I could worry about <laughs> that really weren't in my life, but, you know, I created them anyway. And um, so, you know, you go through these sleepless nights of this kind of stuff, things that you worry about, or I should have done that, or I should have said that, you know, those kinds of things. And I used to think that was all in my brain, but what I came to understand is that consciousness is not only in our brain, it's all around us. It's in us and it's all around us. And my current thinking of consciousness is that these thoughts go by there. It's like they're in a stream. They pass by us. We, we do this in a nanosecond. We take a thought, we look at it, we decide we like that thought, we dwell on that thought, we'll ponder that thought, we'll keep that thought. We grab another thought and we go, no, we don't like that. We throw it back in the stream and away it goes. And it's this process that we have created over a lifetime that we have reinforced. And the things that we watch and the things that we read and the things that we think about, we just keep reinforcing. So all of the newspapers with all the negative stories and sensationalism, all of the political conversation that goes on and this you're right we're wrong we're the right party you're the wrong party those kinds of things um you know anything that's happening in the world 
we take this, we mull it, and it bothers us and it, and it shapes how we think. And these are just thoughts that we choose. So the first thing I introduce people to, and this is this concept of consciousness, and then I introduce you to another author that has written a book and it's around mind and memes. And um, what this book did for me is it, it, it taught me a few things. It taught me that what we think about as right or wrong, true or false, good or bad, is really just a belief. Now, can you just change your beliefs overnight? Eh, hard to do. You know, as an engineer, um, I would say, well, you know, I'll, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I like this tangible. You show it to me and I'll believe it. <laughs> um, now, I, now I would say I'll see it when I believe it. Because what we see in front of us, all of our externalities is really just a reflection of our own beliefs. Yeah. And so the first thing this mind and memes, and you know, the other great thing about this book is it describes memes and how we inadvertently share them uh, and how it affects how we think. And then, you know, of course, because there's a lot of clever people out there, there's designer memes that influence what we think. And we just spread these willy nilly, especially with the, uh, you know, uh, they're prolific on the internet these days, right? Yeah. Both good and bad. So then the next book that I introduced people to as a recommended read, don't have to read it, but it was a book that is based in science and it essentially um, describes in really clear language how our thinking and our feeling affects the expression of a cell. And the expression of a cell is the work it does. So we can, through our thoughts and our emotions, make ourselves healthy or unhealthy. And this book describes that and how that works. And it's all backed up with um, science and research. Uh, easy read, good read. So again, we're not into math and those kinds of things, but it's described in a way which is good. So that's, that's another thing. So how we're thinking affects our biology. And then I read some books on uh, that I introduced people to, again, for their pleasure, if they want to read them, is around mind and brain. And this is, these are books that um, describe neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is the ability for us to grow new brain cells and rewire things that are in our brain. So um, especially for people that maybe have had brain injuries, um, you know, science has now discovered that there's methods and processes that people can use to, to um, mitigate those brain injuries and rewire their brains. And neuroplasty, you know, science used to believe that brains were this fixed thing that died over time as we, as we grew older. And in the 60s, they discovered that, no, that wasn't true. You could actually grow new brain cells as you get older. And so, yeah, I, well, I had a comment about that just because I've read about people who have had brain injuries and they've almost came out and I've actually talked to a couple of people and they've came out completely different people or persons, whatever, on the other side. You know, some have been more risk, take, risk takers, others, have, you know, just completely different personality altogether. And some of it has led to their success and some of it just led to more problems that you know some of them you know they i don't think they could do math anymore or 
something like that. It was something small, but yeah, I mean, it's, they're talking about neuroplasticity. It's weird how the brain will just rewire itself like that, especially after, you know, certain head injuries. I mean, we can see it from, you know, football players too, and CTE protocols and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I just want to throw that in there. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some books like, um, I think Tony Robbins, like I read that back in the nineties, I think he discussed, uh, neural pathways, um, and how we reinforce them over time. So when you, um, have a thought that comes into your brain and it's one that you've reinforced, it's got this direct link in your brain. Um, uh, and so you kind of get into this mode of thinking to break down that neural pathway. You have to kind of almost atrophy that neural pathway to, um, to grow a new pathway. So anyway, um, that's in this book. So, you know, I introduce people to these things and that the goal here is to get everybody on the same page around consciousness and the way that we think and feel can affect our biology. Do you have a business? You need a website? What's the best way to get a website up and running? Choose a website hosting company that makes it simple like Pair Networks. Pair has over 20 years of experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. Pair makes it easy for you with do-it-yourself website building tools and features, including simple drag-and-drop page design. And they have a guaranteed U.S.-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, when you sign up with Pair Networks, you will receive one free month of web hosting. See for yourself how easy it is to build your website for free. Visit pair.com slash free to get your first month of website hosting for free by using the code QUICKSTART. That's pair.com slash free promo code QUICKSTART to get started today. Okay, so why don't you ask your question? Well, carry on. Thank you. Consciousness is all around us. And do you believe or what are your thoughts on that? So like say this desk, for example, do you think it would have like a memories or a consciousness in itself, just, you know, and I know it's probably no way of ever learning that or knowing that, or even a desk that was made in world war or whatever, revolutionary war. I mean, and it was carried on throughout history. I've heard some people talk about, you know, there was memories built into that table and they may not be able to tell us those memories, but you know, they were basically just saying that consciousness, consciousness is in everything, not just, you know, even things that we don't say that are alive. And I was, okay. So, yeah, so um might be a little far-fetched, I know, but I just thought I thought it'd be kind of interesting. No, interesting no, no, no. And we're gonna talk, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but um I'll give you an answer to your question. Uh humans <clears throat> typically, most humans believe that we are matter imbued with consciousness. Okay. In reality, we are consciousness made visible through the descent of vibrational frequency of electrical particles. Everything is consciousness. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. That's the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm write that down. Okay. Um, so, so just to carry on for a moment. So what we did was uh, the mind and the brain. And then... Um, I introduce people to near-death experiences. Um, I don't know whether you or you've read any books with near-death experiences. Have you read any books on that? Yeah, you mean just story, like a story with a near-death experience in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a story of someone that's had a near-death experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, there's medical research around all those experiences globally. Um, and so there's some data that uh, physicians have put together around that. There's a couple of physicians in particular, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Long, I think is one of them out of, I think he's out of Missouri. Um, and um, so I share some of that research and there's people that have near-death experiences, there's consistency with what they come back with. So, you know, I'm going to pull a number out of the air because I don't remember it, but say 80% of what they say, there's, there's probably 90% um, you know, the top five things are common between all near-death experiences. And then it kind of varies a little bit after that. Okay. So this research describes the commonality and uh, puts some probabilities and stuff around that. Um, so it's, it's an easy read. I share people to that. But then the important thing here is I share a near-death experience um, of, a, of a woman. She's written a book. And I share this. Uh, because she has a concept of consciousness, which really then stretched my imagination around what, what consciousness was. And uh, this is a woman that I think she was 46. And she had been suffering from this aggressive cancer over a four year period. She got down to like 95 or 75 pounds. She couldn't hold her head up. She was on oxygen all the time. And she fell into a coma. They rushed her to the hospital and the admitting physicians uh, told her husband that she wouldn't make it through the night. 24 hours later, she, so she was riddled with cancer from her head down or in her entire torso, torso full of lesions and full of tumors. And um, she woke up 24 hours later and declared that she was going to be totally fine. And within two weeks, they couldn't find a trace of cancer in her body. This is all medically documented. So the, the doctors all call it a spontaneous remission and a, and a miracle. Um, but she came back. So the important thing is in her story is that she describes her life before, but then she has a quite a, a apt description of her experience while she was in this coma. And she came back with certain messages. So one of them was, we come from love and we return to love. When we die, we expand to become part of everything in the universe. Um, she felt she was expanding to become part of rocks and trees and other people. And, and so she came back with this message that consciousness is in everything. She, she felt consciousness was imbued in everything. Gotcha. And, um, the other thing which was important to me was you're, we're not judged after death. So no matter what you do here, you're not judged for it after death. All she experienced was unconditional love. So um, no right, no wrong, no judgment, just pure unconditional love. And then she describes a whole bunch of other things and she has a bunch of other messages that she shares. So this is an important read uh, for people uh, and uh, I, I highly recommend they read her book. So again, I direct people in a higher road to um, consider reading this book as well. So this, this actually is part, this is part step one. This is step one of the seven steps. Because what, I, what it does is I've built this scientific understanding for people to have a commonality and a common language. 
And then this stretch is what people think about consciousness if they read this. And it's quite a, it's quite a story, miraculous story. Um, so now let's talk about then in the next part of the book, I, I introduce people to this blueprint document. I don't tell anybody what this blueprint document is because you need to be in a certain mindset to be able to accept this document. It's branding would make me run. So under normal circumstances, I would have never read this information okay. because of how it's branded. And my goal is to get everybody as open as possible with their thinking so that they will be receptive to look at this document rather than reject it out of hand. And so positive mindset board. Pardon me? Very open, very positive mindset. Is that what you're saying? To yeah. So you need to come at this document like a like a little child full of wonder and joy and curiosity and no prejudgments. And so what I want to do is my goal is to get people to that point so that they will be receptive of this information. And then, you know, you read it. When you get through the seven steps, you can decide whether this is something you want to pursue or not. Your choice. No right or wrong, just a choice. So, um, so let's talk about consciousness because now we're going to bridge this thing of spirituality and science. So consciousness, um, or what we know today, I already told you that my belief, my current understanding of consciousness is that we are, we are all, everything is consciousness. And we are materialized through this descent of vibrational frequency of um, electrical particles. And so let's talk about what science knows today. So what science knows today, and we know this now, is that there's nothing solid under the sun, nothing solid in the universe. At a subatomic level, we are all just energy. And we know this intellectually from science. We don't it hasn't necessarily seeped into our consciousness, but we know this from science. So, um, you know, atoms are, are, are built of a proton and electrons. And the electrons are, they disappear and they come back. But really, you know, when we get into quantum physics and stuff like that, we, we now understand from science that everything is just energy. And what science believes is that there was a big bang mm -hmm. and that everything we know, everything that we see in the universe came out of that big bang, including electromagnetism. They say electromagnetism just is. And this, um, Electro, electromagnetism uh, and energy particles just randomly got together and formed atoms. They fuse, so they call it fusion. They, I think you have to be a scientist to understand fusion, but they talk about fusion. <laughs> and that um, you fuse to, to create atoms and, um, and, uh, part, and particles that we know about, things that we know about. And that, that these atoms randomly got together and created a living molecule. And these living molecules got together and created the first living cell. Okay. And so the question becomes, when did consciousness first creep into living matter? And so let's talk about a body and we'll talk about cells. And everybody knows this, but just a little quick thing on it. So, you know, the sperm fertilizes the ovum. 
ovum and we have one cell and it divides into two and it divides into four and so on. And this intricate thing of building the body happens. We know from science that every cell has the library of information for the entire body. The only difference between cells, a heart cell and a lung cell or a cell that builds an ear or a skin cell and a hair cell is the work it does. These cells work together harmoniously in the work that they have to do to build what they're building and to re repair and maintain it. And they never intrude on each other's work. So the cells that build a liver don't all of a sudden spring into making an ear. And so we have this whole harmonious thing that happens in our body, which um, between these cells to create this body and maintain this body. And now let's move into talking about one cell. So the cell is this kind of miraculous thing that has this permeable membrane around it. And this permeable membrane, all of this we know from science, this permeable membrane will accept the right nutrition and only the right nutrition to be able to digest and use. And it discerns uh, the toxic waste buildup and then it gets rid of it, ejects it through the permeable membrane. This is the hallmark of consciousness, a consciousness awareness of, I need that kind of nutrition, a consciousness awareness of, oh, this is toxic for me. I need to get rid of it. And so when you think about this, then it's like, well, where is it getting that directional energy from? And then if you can go back, so there's got to be consciousness in a cell in order to do this. Sure. So then you go back and you say, well, if it's in the cell, why wouldn't it be in the living molecules that got together to form a cell? And if it's in the living molecules, why wouldn't it be in the elements that got together to form a living molecule? And if you can go back that far, then the question is, well, if it's in the elements, why wouldn't it be in the electrical particles that formed to make an element? Okay. So materialistic science can't explain this stuff, but what we look at it, if we look at it logically, we have to say there's got to be some directional force in all of those things, which is promoting it to get together to, to build these things. And you think about cells, cells are repeated in a billion, 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 billion different ways throughout the universe, throughout earth in various forms. You know, they're the, the teeth of a, of a crocodile. They're, they're in us, they're, um, you know, in birds, they're in everything alive and they're repeated. And it keeps our, um, this whole life of plants and insects and animals kind of repeated and um, uh, stable over millions of years. And if you look at evolution, you look at evolution uh, and you think about any adaptation in the body that happens over time through evolution. So if you look at Darwin stuff, you would come to understand that <clears throat> you'd come to understand that any adaptation is always purposeful and always helpful to the uh, entity that it adapts on. You can grab a drink of water. Go ahead.
So therefore the question, so therefore the question becomes, okay, well, you know, we have all of this uh, scientific information that we know about. And the question that becomes, and it's something that's always bothered me um, because I didn't know and science doesn't know, but the question became for me and uh, you'll learn about it is, well, what was before the big bang? Science doesn't know what was before the big bang. And so what I'm going to, tell you today and you're going to have to read this on your own and you'll read it when you if you follow the seven steps but this information that i share with you describes exactly what was before the big bang the impetus for the big bang the uh what happened after the big bang and the appearance of electromagnetism and electromagnetism is the tool of creativity to create materialized form and so you know we go back to the science we just read we talked about electrical particles getting together to form elements to form living molecules so this is the material uh this and that's all via electromagnetism electromagnetism is always purposeful and always helpful for whatever there's nothing that electromagnetism has created that science could say is bad that's interesting like and today's age, there's always somebody trying to find something negative about something. And yes, well, okay, and I'm going to say that, and somebody will, I'm sure, postulate something negative about something. But <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then we think about. Um, uh, so let's let's move to human consciousness. So the ego is created at the time of conception, and it is really. Um, the soul is a fragment of divine consciousness. So we have universal consciousness before the Big Bang. We have divine consciousness, which is um, uh, a form of universal consciousness, but in a state uh, that can uh, create materialized form. Universal consciousness is in silence and stillness and equilibrium, and it will never be detected in space by science, no matter how they probe space. And where in space, it's in everywhere in space. And for those who think of atoms, you could think of it as the space in the atom. So universal consciousness is what many call God or Allah or Yahweh, this, you know, the divine, whatever you want to call it. People call it this. It's our creator. The divine consciousness is the tool of universal consciousness to create individuality. And individuality is created through this process of electromagnetism. And when you think about the ego, so you think about the soul, the soul is a fragment of divine consciousness. It is perfect. It is unconditional love. And this baby, baby is the embodiment of joy because it is in its initial state still connected with the divine and is just happy to be alive, alive and joyful because it comes from this unconditional love. As we grow older, the ego, what the ego does is it takes control of what we think about and, um, and, uh, and what we do. And it binds down and it shuts off the soul through these bindings to um, as part of this process of, of creativity in human form. And when you think about the ego, the ego can only do two things. It can bond with everything it likes 
So it, it, so we talk about electromagnetism, attraction, repulsion, bonding, rejection. So the ego can bond with everything it likes. I like chocolate cake. I like that person. I like that event. I want to go to that concert. You know, those kinds of things. I like that house. I like that car. And it rejects for safety and security everything it does not like. I don't like that person. I don't like that event. I don't want to go to that country. Don't like, you know, don't like this. Yeah. Don't like that kind of food. So it's the only mechanisms that the ego has. The difficulty with this is that we are not difficulty, but the, the process of this is that we think with electrical impulses in our brain and we feel with magnetic impulses in our nervous system. An, an electrical impulse is a consciousness plan and the magnetic impulse of bonding is the purpose to give form to that consciousness plan to experience it. So everything you think about in the universe does not differentiate between I like and I want and I, and I you know, want to have this and I love it and I hate and I don't want. Anything that you think about is an electrical plan and you reinforce that electrical plan and magnetize to itself um, through your emotions. So an emotion of love or an emotion of hate, an emotion of joy, an emotion of disdain, all of those emotions do the same thing. They bond this electrical thinking into this plan and they eventually magnetize to themselves a like thing. So these like experiences come into your experience uh, maybe in an hour, maybe in a day, maybe immediately, depending who you're talking to, but you know, maybe in an hour, maybe in a day, maybe in a year, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 30 years in the future. And you will likely, unless it's one of those immediate things where you're having a conversation or a reaction by somebody, you will likely not be able to connect your thinking to what you're experiencing. But it's only, but it's only through the lessons of suffering will the journeying soul gain self-knowledge to retain individuality after it's discarded the ego. Your process here in this school we call earth over time, you will be reincarnated in varying genders, in varying uh, places of origin, in different skin colors, in different experiences of wealthy or poor, educated or uneducated. Sometimes lifetimes you may be on the street. Some lifetimes you may be living in a mansion. All of these things are designed for your soul to learn the lessons it needs to learn. One thing that the NDE uh, person I talked about earlier came back with one message was that we're unified after we die. And we are unified in divine consciousness. Our souls are unified in divine consciousness, but this electromagnetism and the ego is designed to create individuality for you or us to experience these very varying things that we experience here on earth. Your soul is always trying to return to the love, the unconditional love that it came from. And so it's always prompting the ego to do things that make it feel happy, make it feel secure. So what we do is, uh, for example, 
is you might go, oh, I really want a new car. Oh, and I love that car. So you create a goal and you go out and you get that new car. And, and you're really happy about that new car when you get it, right? Over time, it starts, the, the happiness starts to wane, you know, becomes dull and boring. You, share, you show it off to your friends to get another little boost of, oh, look at this nice car I have. Be happiness. It's temporary things, right? Yeah. So what we do, we end up in this lifetime of just chasing goals to try and get back to our state of happiness. But the ego only has these mechanisms of bonding rejection to get us there. Keep us safe or attract, try and attract things that we like. Mm -hmm. And what we need to realize is at some point, each of us will wake up when the time is right. And we will understand that what we really need to go do is go is have this journey within. And this journey within that I describe in the book and take people through with this seven step process is to really cleanse our consciousness of all of these negative things that, excuse me, that we think about and perpetuate in our life and to help people rebuild their consciousness with qualities that are consistent with the source of our being. And when you can do that and you understand the process of how to do it, so first you'll gain the knowledge and you'll make a decision for yourself. And when you have the knowledge and you have a process to make it happen, then you can make a choice of whether you want to carry on with your life the way you currently are, or whether you actually want to go through this process to connect back with the divine and to cleanse yourself of the things that um, is, is creating the current lifetime or your current situation that you're in. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, ill or healthy or uh, happy or, or depressed or whether you're on the street or you're in, in a mansion. We know people that are materialistically wealthy. They live in these big mansions, but, and they, they look like they have, they're on top of the world. They have everything because we're all great actors, but inside they're a mess and they may turn to drugs. They may turn to alcohol you know, whatever they turn to, or they may be just self-destructive. So anything to get them out of, to escape reality, basically. Yeah, it's, yeah, essentially, that's it, right? To escape your thinking. And so um, this is a process. So I describe this as I go through this, uh, go through this process of this cleansing and rebuilding. And um, this is described in my last chapter. And I can tell you, that you will be, you will learn to meditate and you'll learn the purpose of meditation. I tried it in the nineties and I, I kind of kept with meditation sporadically. Um, but I never really truly understood the reason to meditate, what the purpose of meditation was. You know, there's lots of people that talk about, Oh, well, it calms your nervous system. And you know, it does this and it does that. But the, the real reason to meditate is to go into your into silence and stillness and to go through a process where you can connect back with the divine. And when you can connect with the divine, you will get help with your cleansing and your rebuilding and your life will totally transform. Neil, what is your, what is your meditation practice? Do you sit in a room and in silence for 15 minutes every day or what is it <laughs> so you can start with whatever you like you know five ten minutes a day and build to whatever you like so 
so my meditation practice is what you need to do is you need to learn and you will over time. And this is where learning audio helped me because it helped focus my mind. You need to learn over time how to entirely stop your thoughts in your brain. And people will say that's impossible, but I can tell you it is not. But it takes practice. And so what you need to do is get your thoughts to totally um, disappear, essentially. You go into the silence and the stillness, and you open yourself up to a higher levels of consciousness. And over time, you will feel these shifts in consciousness. And, um, and uh, you do this consistently, and you do it in the way that needs to be done for this practice. And over time, what will happen is you'll start to build new brain cells at the top of your head underneath your skull. And this creates a little opening in your head. I didn't know what that was. It was about seven months and that started to open. And then I finally figured out that's what's going on. That opening just grows and grows and grows when you keep with this. And then what will happen is you start to feel this inflow of spiritual energy into your, into your head. Eventually, it will be throughout your entire body and it may go up one side, down the other. It may be in your head and, and in your chest simultaneously. It may move from your head to your chest, your solar plexus. I now, this opening for me is uh, top of my ears, even below in my ears, mid-ear, all the way around top of my head. And what it enables me to do is get direct communication or uh, reciprocal communication with the divine and get direction in terms of, of what I need to be doing and um, what I can do to help other people and help myself. And when you are filled with this spiritual energy, you will, I had one year after I started this process, I had two meditations that were about three days apart where I went into this meditation and I was so incredibly enveloped. Like I went through these higher levels of consciousness. I felt these shifts in consciousness and I was just bathed in unconditional love. I didn't care what happened to my body. I didn't care what pain it was in. I didn't care about anything that was earthly and human. I was just bathed in this unconditional love. And I just wanted to stay there in that state. And I think that is the state that this woman in this NDE tries to describe, but we don't have the language to actually describe it. So in my book, I talk about various things and I give people some ideas of the various things uh, that I've experienced through meditation. So to answer your question, though, right gun, my practice is to meditate every morning and I meditate between 90 minutes and two hours every morning. Wow. Impressive. Up without fail. Every day without fail. Every day. I used to get up. I used to kind of do it when I got up in the morning. And then what I realized that if I start to engage my brain in other things, I I, I'm thinking about that and I can't get into the state of silence and stillness. So then what I started to do is I got up at four or 4.30 in the morning before anybody else got up, get a cup of coffee, get myself, you know, go to the washroom, get coffee, get settled in a reclining chair. You don't need to, you know, you're not sitting in some lotus position. You, what you want to do is you want to get into a position which you're totally relaxed in, where you can relax your head and your neck. And you want to be get into that. You'll get into this theta state, which is the state 
of consciousness just before you fall asleep or just when you wake up, you're in that kind of really low brainwave activity state. That state allows you to connect with your subconscious, your unconscious mind, and it also puts you in this state where you are receptive to uh, different spiritual energies. So our source of being radiates unconditional love to us constantly, unstintingly, consistently. What blocks us from feeling it is the low vibrational energies that we are as humans and that we create with our ego impulses. And so you need to go through a process where you get yourself into this state where you can make this connection. And I can tell you, if you do this and you follow this process, I firmly believe you will have an entirely different outlook on life. Like after I came, after I made these shifts, um, you know, about a year after, it's like, everything that I've amassed over my lifetime, we buy so many things that, you know, are great. And then where does it go? It goes in the attic or the garage or in the corner somewhere. And we hardly ever use them. It's just like, I look back at my life now and go, why did I buy all that stuff? You know, like I would have been better to give that money to somebody else in need than to buy all that crap for myself. I just wanted to rid myself of everything. And I'm still going through that process of ridding myself of stuff. But I'm just, anything that I'm not using, I think somebody else can use it. I give it to the goodwill. I give it to somebody else. I, you know, just, just downsize. The less I have, the happier I am. Yeah, I heard something great one time. And it's from John Wilborn, and he has his own podcast. But he was saying that he was trying to invoke that lesson on his kids because they were wanting some gifts or whatever. I forgot what it was exactly. But he was like, wanted to tell them, even, hey, you know, when, you're looking, when you're on your deathbed and you're looking back at your life, are you really going to sit there and think, oh, man, I'm sure glad I got that new iPhone or... I'm so glad I got that, you know, that car or whatever. But it's no, it's more like he was trying to vote them like the experiences you're going to go through in your life. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I took that trip to, you know, the Grand Canyon or somewhere great. But it's like that's more meaningful in life rather than materialistic things. So it's it's tough to do, though, when you're young and you see, you know, all your friends have things and, you know, and, you know, as you grow up and you're, you know, in your 20s and stuff and you're you're trying to do the things we think we're becoming as we're growing from childhood to adult, but we think we're becoming versed in the ways of the world. And really what we're doing is are locking ourselves into our current mindsets and how we think, and we're blocking out the, um, out the spiritual energy, out the divine. And at some point this lifetime or another lifetime, you wake up to the fact that this is what you're doing to yourself. And my book is designed and I share this information that explains exactly how and why in a very easy to understand way about how and why we do what we do to ourselves until we wake up and it gives you the tools to change your life if you want to if you don't want to no problem just carry on like you are you know kind of going back a little bit but it's almost society tells us that you know by obtaining certain things you know like nice car nice house nice watches that you know, it's a sign of success that you've had in your life, but it's it's almost like a status symbol, but it's, you know, and everyone has their own views of success or whatever, but it's almost imprinted that, hey, you have to get these things in life in order to be successful. And that's what people strive for. But that's not always the case. I mean, yeah, well, and and it's, um, you know, it's part of this mechanism. It's part of the tool to create this individuality. And, um, you know, and quite frankly, since, 
probably a hundred years ago or more, you know, society started to shift in terms of how we thought we became influenced more by marketing. We became influenced more by having more things and, you know, society surely shifted over time. And nowadays we're conditioned and, you know, TV or film or other things, you know, that social media, young kids are conditioned to want these things or to, you know, pursue these kind, have these kinds of pursuits. You know, when I grew up in the sixties, I mean, we had a black and white TV, <laughs> there was hardly any programs on, you know, a few channels and, you know, most of the time we spent outside. You know, I knew nothing about sex till I was, you know, like 12, 13 years old. Nowadays, you know, that's prolific on the internet. I mean, younger kids than, yeah, they have you know, like, access to it. Yeah. yeah, like it's just, it's, and what we're doing is we're polluting their minds at a really young age. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so at some, that's what they're growing away. up. In. It's like whatever they're looking at, they happen to stumble upon a porno or whatever. That's what they're seeing. Like, that's what love is, or that's what, you know, sex is, and that's ingrained in, like you were talking about, yep. earlier, like in all the stuff we take in through our lives. Yeah. Well, we re- reinforce that. And, you know, the, the, the great thing through this process is that because we're going to be reincarnated in different places of origin, different skin colors, different genders, we're going to learn different things. Mm-hmm. There's no, but, you know, what I see today when I look at people, no matter what things that are they're doing, which we may consider to be reprehensible, I look at them and what I see is the soul of divinity that is in them and the unconditional love and that they are equal to me in every way, shape and form. This outer action that they're taking is just their struggle to the light. That doesn't mean I need to embrace it. That doesn't mean I need to... to um, you know, kind of agree with it. Or if there's a murderer running around, doesn't mean that they shouldn't be somehow contained so they're not killing people. But I see them as a divine soul of unconditional love that is just, it's their path, it's their struggle to the light. It's their lessons that they need to learn in this lifetime. And when you see people like that, you can feel differently about them and what they're struggling with. You know, we've been talking a lot about different things here and stuff, but we're kind of getting a little short on time. But I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, what gives you hope, you know? I mean, do you have it? Do you have hope still? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We are, so the world is under this new dispensation of energy, and we're under this current transformation um, where more people will be um, waking up to the fact of what they're doing to themselves, they'll be going through their own processes to connect with the divine. And as we do this individually, we will um, then start to influence what other people do. And at some point, collectively, we're going to, there's going to be more people that have made this connection. And we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to create a new era of love and peace throughout the world. There's hope for all of that. And there's a there's processes in place and you can see it if you look for it. But right now, because of the law of cause and effect, 
things that have been put in motion individually and collectively must come into form. You cannot escape it. Everything that you think is uh, a movement in consciousness and consciousness in movement, and it will come into material form. So collectively, you know, if we're still having these collective thoughts of negative things, it will manifest in a collective way. And at some point, though, there will be this shift. The, the, the division in the future will not be in between the wealthy and the poor. The division will be in consciousness. That's great. So there's great hope. There is. Um, well, this has been a great conversation, Neil. I'm really glad you came on here and shared your story. If people want to find the book, find more about you, any of that stuff, here's your chance. How do they do that? Yeah, so the book is A Higher Road. Cleanse your consciousness to transcend the ego and ascend spiritually. A seven-step process to inner peace, joy, love, abundance, and prosperity. My website is dneilelliot.com. So initial D-N-E-I-L-E-L-L-I-O-T-T.com. All my social media links are on there. Um, the book is available in paperback, hardcover, ebook in all your favorite formats. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it through your local bookstore. We can get it on Apple or on Kobo or on Nook, whatever your electronic uh, version is. And um, you can learn more about me in the book by going to my website. Great. Oh, one thing I like to ask, how long did it take you to write the book? Was it something? A year. A year? Just yeah. Worked on every day? Or... I always admire people, Work. authors and stuff, because there's always something like, damn, that's got to be extremely tough to do. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting. So writing the book was a process in itself. And um, once you write a book and it is, it's, and every day I've worked on it, yeah. it's a, it's when you write a book, you realize how much agony goes into every choice of every word <laughs> and every construction of every sentence. So if you go into a library and you see all these books, you just think about, wow, all of the energy and collective thinking that had to go into creating one book. It's like, I'm just surrounded by that in this library of books. Wow. Again, thank you for coming on here and sharing. This was great. I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much. I, I very much uh, enjoyed our conversation today. And I appreciate that um, you're open to this. So thank you. All right, everyone. We're going out here. Be good to yourselves. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 